Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Hey, this morning we have the privilege of having uh, Jen Borja, our Prince Can- Can you bring this down just a touch? Jen is our uh, campus pastor in Princeton, which is about three hours northeast of here. If you don't know where that is, it's on the way to the Okanagan. You might have driven through it and not been aware of it. It's a beautiful little town uh, full of people who need Jesus, and a gathering is growing there of, uh, of seeing people won, seeing people healed, seeing people transformed by the power of the gospel, and the Borja family is an integral part of that, and they've gone through thick and through thin, and they continue to stand, believing God for a move in that community as we are as well. Uh, they are not there by themselves because when they go, who else is going? We are all going because they're a part of us. And so we're so grateful for their ministry, and I want you to give a warm Horizon Church Surrey welcome to Jen as she comes. You got to put something down. Let's put it on the floor. But yeah. You are brave. Well, good morning, church. So good to be home. Thank you for having us. It's an honor. It's an honor to be here with you uh, this morning. Uh, right there in the front row, I brought some beautiful faces with me. Uh, my wonderful husband, Praxis, my daughter, Kelly, my daughter, Raina, and uh, our last one, Ariella, that we've had since we've been here. You might know, not know her yet. She's Okanagan maid. She's up in the nursery right now. <laughs> And, uh, and we're just so, so thankful uh, to be here. We lead, we lead the church uh, together in Princeton. And uh, I couldn't do what I do without my wonderful husband. He's, he's a, a very integral part. <laughs> Princeton is beautiful, guys. It's only three hours away. And it is true. You probably went there or drove through there and didn't realize that you were. It's the subway between like Manning Park and when you're heading towards Benedict. There you go. Yeah, see? There's the geography lesson for today. Um, <laughs> but uh, I can get from my house to the church in about three or four minutes. I can get from my house to our one grocery store in about three minutes. There's no traffic. There's no, very little rain, actually. It gets one of the least amounts of rain in all of British Columbia. Um, we can go to any lake that we want without a parking pass. I've heard your stories. I've heard. We went a few, a few weekends ago, we went camping at a small lake about four minutes, five minutes from our house, just because we could. It was nice and close. And some friends came and it was funny. We, we haven't camped. We're not really campers, to be honest, but we somehow got arranged that we had the use of like a nice trailer um, because I don't want to sleep on the floor if, if I can avoid it. Uh, and so we, we went camping. We're camping this lake. It's close to our house. And I think about like... 15 visitors came and went just from town. We kept seeing people that we know and somebody's dropping by to come for a swim or whatever. There was this one night we're sitting out on the dock, just a small lake, we're out on the dock and the sun's hitting, like it's golden hour, like just beautiful. On this side, there's kids jumping off and laughing and 
you know, swimming on this side. Some people are fishing. There's some classic rock playing. I'm like, when did my life become a Hallmark movie? Because this definitely feels like it. And, you know, I, I have to admit, it took some, some settling in. It did. Like when, when I go to the grocery store, I have to allot for the time of the chatting with the people that we know. And that's okay. I've learned, I've learned to love it. Uh, when we go to the post office, you can't just, because we have to go into town to the post office, it doesn't come to our house. Uh, when we go into the post office, we, you, you, just, you just kind of adjust. You know, I think, I think I'm adjusting. I think, I think I'm okay with it. Maybe you didn't know that you could sell your townhouse in Surrey and have a full house with a pool. Maybe not a pool, you might have to upgrade a little for the pool, but like a full house or, or like a, a house with some land in Princeton. It's only three hours away. So you can look, I did research on realtor.com as preparation for my sermon. So if you want, I can set you up with a really good realtor. There's a growing church no traffic, and lakes that are accessible. So we left, it was uh, pre-COVID. Yeah, I know, we don't like to talk about those things. About three and a half years ago. It sounds short to say, but I think I've aged like 17 years since we've been here. So definitely some gray hairs coming in, in uh, here, some places. And uh, anyways, last year, we, uh, oh no, that was this year. When did we go to Mexico? We went to Mexico with our, with our family. Uh, Praxis is from Mexico. We were able to go back. Uh, he has one brother and his brother was getting married. So like, we gotta go. So we put three kids on an airplane and did it. And, and uh, we were there, we saw aunties and cousins and, and uncles and second uncles and more aunties and more, we saw a lot of people. And, and Kelly, my six-year-old, she said, I thought we were from a small family but I realize I'm actually from a big family. And so a few weeks ago, we came down for summer party. We run, we run summer party in Princeton as well. It's just, it's just smaller. So I wanted them to have like the full experience. So we came down. I had just the three girls and, and, and myself. And I said, girls, I want you to understand something. Just like when we went to Mexico and you realize you have a big family, that's what it's like when we come home to Surrey. To, to Horizon, we, we are a small family in Princeton, but we're an extension, this, this is our family. And every day they got to see the extension of the family. Um, whew, it is just, I don't know, I'm just, I feel really happy to be here. Uh, we're so thankful for this, for this home and for the investment and the prayers uh, and the leadership, Pastor Craig and Shanda, we're so, so, so thankful. Uh, for everything that you guys do to support us out there. Because it's out there. I say it's three hours, but man, it's out there. <laughs> so today, we can just kind of settle in, okay? We just, whew, we're with family. Um, and, uh, and consider this your invitation. It's three hours away. Come, come see what our church is doing. Our church is doing in Princeton. So there's so much opportunity. And then maybe you'll fall in love and sell your house and move there because every Hallmark, listen to me, it's, just, it's only the truth. We have been embedding this in our hearts for years, mostly around Christmas time. We do fun stuff around Christmas time. I make the town do fun things for Christmas. We had a gingerbread house competition. 
we've done, I don't know, I just, I'm like, we should, I get in these little councils, I'm like, we should do this, and I'm really just trying to, because everybody leaves the big city for the small town, I cannot comment on the dating scene, I'm not really there, um, but it's probably slim pickings, but I could start looking for you if you put in a prayer request, prayer at horizonchurch.ca, I'm moving on because if I don't, if I don't move on, Praxis gives me this look, like your introduction is too long. Me and more. Okay. We've been following in this series to the letters to the churches in Revelations. Today we're going to be talking uh, about the church in Philadelphia. It's Revelations chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. If you have your Bible, you can kind of open there. I meant to send my notes. I took three kids with me this morning and didn't get done. But we are here. <laughs> so, uh, but I've really been enjoying this series. And I have to admit, I didn't think I would. <laughs> Because there's some stuff in Revelations that I'm like, that's pretty weird. So I'm glad Pastor Craig did a really good job. He kind of debunked a lot of stuff in the first, the first uh, what do you call that? The kickoff, the opener. Did a good job. You guys have phenomenal speakers taking you through this series. It's been, it's been really good. Um, and uh, some, there we go. <laughs> so these letters were written to specific churches in specific places in a specific time. They're real letters, real churches, real people, real problems. And as we, uh, as we read through those letters, there's absolutely some stuff that we can glean for our day-to-day life today in 2023 here And sorry, uh, And if you're watching from Princeton, hi. It's kind of weird to be on this side if you're wa- they're watching from home today. We didn't have in-person service because... I'm here and there's only one of me so far. But, uh, so as we're working through these letters, you can see there's kind of a pattern. First, uh, first we see there's a specific church addressed and then there's a description of Jesus and it's been like a strong description of Jesus and I've liked that, that's been good. Then Jesus commends the church, then he rebukes the church and he gives a solution to the rebuke, that's always helpful. Then kind of a high stakes warning, here's what you'll miss out on if you don't do this, and a, a promise for the conqueror. I like those ones. And then he ends with this. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That line alone, like, we could just land there. That's so, so powerful. He who has ears, God, would you let us hear what you would speak to us today? God, we pray that as we open your word, as we're just with family, God, that you would speak to us today. So Philadelphia is actually different than these ones. There's no rebuke in the passage to the church in Philadelphia. So when I was preparing, kind of took the edge off a little bit. I was like, all right, I could just kind of come and bring a word of encouragement that hopefully still challenges you uh, in what Jesus has for you to draw you closer to Jesus. So Revelations chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. Are you guys there? Give me a thumbs up if you're there. Because I can see you, yeah. Verse 7. To the angel in the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Verse 8 says, Behold, I know your works. I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make those in the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. 
Because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast um, to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out from it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a lot to unpack there. First, like I said, there's, there's no rebuke. They didn't lose their first love. They didn't allow Jezebel in with her different temptations. They weren't tolerating idolatry. They were not, uh, you know, giving themselves over to the ways of the trade guilds. It's, it's a good day. He said, you've kept my word. He does say, I know you have little power, which is not like a rebuke, but it's also not that nice to say. <laughs> it, but it encourages me most days because sometimes I feel like that. Verse 10 says, I kept... Uh, because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I'll keep you from the hour of trial that's coming to the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So if you have little power, you've kept my word. I'll keep you from the hour of trial. And verse 12, it says, to the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out, and I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And this verse was so significant to the church in Philadelphia. First thing he says, you won't go out anymore. He says, you'll get a new name, a new city, uh, a pillar in the temple of God. And the imagery that Jesus uses in all of these letters is so significant. And it's so cool how the things that he was talking about spoke specifically to those churches in the places where they were. I've just been blown away by it. And uh, Philadelphia was situated on the edge of a volcanic area. So it means it would have had fertile soil, rich hot springs, all those lovely things. But it also meant that the people lived in fear of tremors and earthquakes. And it was a very unstable place to live. So the people would actually go out of the city and come back in often. They lived in like a heightened sense of almost anxiety or fear. Um, some people would go out every night and come back. And so Jesus knew this part of life for them. And so he says, you're, you're not going to go out anymore. So he says, I am your security. I am your unshakable foundation. My presence with you is not directed by geological or, or, or economic or political disorder. I am with you. Then he says, I'll write on them a new name of the city. In 17 AD, there was an earthquake that leveled Philadelphia. They were rebuilt by the support of the, of the Roman emperor at the time. And they changed their name to Neo Caesarea, which... So it's, he's saying to them, I will write on you the name of the city of my God, the new city and the new Jerusalem. It's just so cool that Jesus is speaking to a people and it's like he actually knows what's happening there. Isn't that so good? I'll make you a pillar. Often in those days, they would make, uh, write someone's name on a pillar as a memorial to them, maybe a political leader or religious leader, as an honor to them. So Jesus says, to him who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. That's the, only, the, the kingdom of heaven, the only temple that lasts. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about the things that happen in, in heaven. Because how many know sometimes the victory that we want to see, we might not even see it here, but it's happening in eternity. He, puts, he places it in eternity. 
To the overcomer, he gives a triple honor. He really, really honors the overcomer in this, in this passage. This is good stuff to those who keep his word. Don't deny his name. Patient endurance. Hold fast. Conquer. You know, there's something about overcomers. Like we look and we think like, I want to do that. I want to be that. I want to be an overcomer. I want to be victorious. By definition, in order to be an overcomer, you, you had to have something to overcome. It means that they've walked through some things that needed to be conquered. It means they had a battle to walk through. Jesus is not handing out participants trophies to the church in Philadelphia. Hold fast. So no one takes your crown. It's a victor's crown, an overcomer's crown. And I will write your name on a pillar of the temple and I will give you a new name. Listen, for those with little power, but great perseverance, there is an eternal prize. Hold fast. Some of you, I felt as I was preparing, I felt in my spirit like you're walking through a battle and, and, and you're actually thinking in your mind like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I have what it takes. Listen to me, hold fast. Do not let anyone steal your crown. Sometimes, friends, sometimes you have to stubbornly stand in what God has given you to do when it doesn't make sense to anybody else around you, even sometimes yourself. It's just an act of faithfulness to God who knows better than me. This is my act of faithfulness. He says, you have, I know you have little power, but hold on. That's the least encouraging thing you could say to somebody like me, that you have little power. Like, it's not a rebuke. But like, sometimes I wanna feel like I have it all together. I wanna feel like I have it figured out. I wanna feel like I have what it takes. I have some control. Like, Jesus, that hurts. But the sooner that we get it, the better. You have little power. He's gonna call you and you have little power. So where are the resources supposed to come from? You have little power, but he has things for you. For those with little power, great perseverance, there's an eternal prize. Because listen, he's going to call you to things that are beyond yourself. He's going to call you things that are, are beyond your natural ability, things that are supernatural. That's because it's, it's beyond, it's supernatural. It's beyond what we naturally can do. It's going to be beyond your comfort zone. It's going to be beyond your resources. It's going to be beyond your schooling. It's going to be beyond your gifting, beyond your family upbringing. It's... It's going to be beyond. And I just felt like I needed to speak some faith into people today. This is a picture that I had in my spirit is sometimes we're bringing our things to Jesus. Like, look, I did this and I did this and I got this. And, and we're kind of setting up like a show and tell for Jesus. And he kind of smiles. Cause again, it's not a rebuke. He, he, he commends them. The smile is my own interpretation, but he's like, you have little power, but here, let me show you what I have for you that you cannot earn you cannot buy, you cannot produce, you cannot achieve it based on merit. Keep my word and don't deny my name and hold fast and overcome. And if you overcome, I will give you this triple honor, new name, a pillar. I will write on you my name. And I, just as a, as a side note, as I was praying, I felt like there's some of you have tried to stand in what God has given you to do and other people have given you a name 
because you've been standing for what the Lord has given you to do. I just felt like God wanted to wash off that name. He's going to give you a new name. What people have said about you is not what the Lord has said about you when you've been standing in what he's given you to do. He actually calls you faithful. There's been some other words thrown around over you, but God has called you faithful. I'm going to jump back to the, the beginning of the passage. This is kind of the main theme or the imagery of this letter. <clears throat> <clears throat> says that Jesus has the keys of David. Listen, this is in verse 7. It says, To the angel in the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know you have little power, and yet you have kept my word and, den and not denied my name. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. It says, I, Jesus, have set it before you. Man doesn't set it before you. Man is not supposed to open the doors for you. He says, I have set the door before you, and no one can close the door that Jesus has opened for you. The key of David, it comes out of Isaiah chapter 22, verses 20 to 22. It says, in that day I'll summon my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will, place on his shoulder, and in the, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David, and what he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. He's referring to the, the kingdom of God, the temple, the riches of God. Jesus opens the door. His death and resurrection open the door. Many Jews who would have embraced Jesus at that time would have had the doors of the synagogue closed in their faces because they would have been excommunicated. They would have been considered cursed. But Jesus opens the door for new life for people. And it's not always easy. The door is open it's way open, but the path is actually narrow. We know this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. I'm just making sure you're tracking with me. That leads to life. But small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. The first door that he sets before us is the door of salvation. It's an open door. He says, look, behold, I've made the way. It's the way of salvation. It's the door of Jesus. I've made, I've made an access for you. And salvation is when we admit that we are in need of a savior. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we believe in our heart that he is who he says he is. He's the son of God. He died and he rose again to save us from our sins. John 6, 40 says, it's for my father, it is my father's will that all who see his son and believe in him shall have eternal life. Then we confess that he's the Lord. Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I don't want to miss an opportunity. If you've never taken the door of salvation, if you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I just want to give an opportunity for that right now. Can we do that? Is that okay in church? <laughs> Why don't everybody just quickly, just, just close your eyes. Even my own kids in the front row, I'm watching you. And if, if you'd like to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, just lift up your hand. We just want to pray together really quick. 
Yeah. Yeah, I see those hands. So now we just pray, Jesus, I need you. Maybe everybody will repeat after me so we are, we're, all, we're all together. There we go. Jesus, I need you. I need a savior. I believe that you are the son of God, that you died and rose again. And I confess that you alone are Lord. Come on, that's, that's the best thing that we can do. If, that, if you prayed that for the first time, make sure you find somebody with a lanyard after and just, just connect with them about what your next steps are towards following Jesus because we absolutely believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, that you weren't here by accident this morning. The second door is the door of opportunity. You see, this, this imagery about an open door, it is not unusual in the New Testament. Paul used this kind of imagery a lot. He said when he was going to the Corinthians, um, he said, I'll stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has been opened for me. Then he told them he was going to Trouse to preach the gospel because the door was opened for him and the Lord. Then when he talks to the Colossians, he says, pray that God would open a door for the message of the gospel. This picture of open doors is not uncommon in the New Testament. And now an open door doesn't mean that there's no obstacles because after he's talking about the open door in Ephesus, he says, many, uh, there are many who oppose me. He's asking them to pray. So the door is open, but there's many that oppose me. And sometimes we think that the open door leads to a wide road when it actually doesn't. We already know they had little power. And just isn't it amazing that God always calls us the things that are beyond our own resources so we have to depend on him. But I have like a love-hate relationship with that concept. So there's always this opposition and hard times. There's uncertainty. That's what the church was facing, right? There was maybe opposition from the religious establishment of the day would have been a big thing that the church in Philadelphia would have had to deal with. On the other side of, of the door of opportunity, it's not going to be easy. It would actually be easier to stay home. It would actually be easier to not fight. It would actually be easier to not take the door. It would be easier to huddle, to stay safe, and to stay home. It would be easier. Max Licato tells a story about a time that his dad took him fishing, and it rained and snowed, and they had to stay inside a camper instead of being out to fish. And I'll, I'll, I'll read it from Max Licato because you can't, can't tell a story better than Max, right? He says, I learned a hard lesson that week, not about fishing, but about people. He said, when those are who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we cast stones. Instead of extending helping hands, we point accusing fingers. Instead of being fishers of the lost, we become critics of the saved. Instead of, uh, rather than uh, helping the hurting, we hurt the helpers. The result is church scrooges and bah humbug spirituality. Beady eyes searching for warts on others while ignoring the warts on the nose below. Crooked fingers that bypass strengths and point out weaknesses. Split churches. Poor testimonies, broken hearts, and legalistic wars. And sadly, 
The poor go unfed, the confused go uncounseled, and the lost go unreached. For when those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. So the next time, the challenges of outside tempt you to shut the door and stay inside. Stay in long enough to get warm, and then get out. You were meant to live the life of faith he has set before you. Church, it is time to stop huddling. It's time to step out. It's time to stop complaining. It is time to step out. It's time to stop controlling. It is time to step out. So my question for you today is what is the door the Lord has set before you? Because he opens doors that nobody else can open and he closes doors that nobody else can close. And maybe it's something in your heart. Maybe it's something that you dreamed of in this, but this last season has been hard and there's been disappointments. Maybe the door of opportunity, what you thought was a door of opportunity is actually a frustration to you. Let me explain. Let me explain. I'll drink my water first. You know, like when there's something that you're supposed to do and you feel it, and you know it in, in your knower. You guys know that? that? That's the Holy Spirit inside you. But you know it in your knower. Like, I'm supposed to do this. God's given me this to do. It's something I'm, I'm he's, he's made me. I, I, I'm about, sorry. I'm about to get a little bit gritty for a minute. And then we'll pull it back. It's going to be okay because it's not a, a rebuke. It's, it's not. Just remember, it's an opportunity. But something, listen to me. Something that's birthed in vision can become an irritation if action is not taken. And an irritation can become a frustration or a bitterness or a resentment, even if the word came from God. Because prophetic word is only potential. Our faith and our obedience to the Lord play a very big part. An open door has no conveyor belt. It is a walk of faith and a narrow road. It requires our obedience and it will cost you greatly. It will cost you. Because a seed of faith, here's my seed, is meant to be planted. I brought this from Carameas, which is 45 minutes from my house. It's like the organic fruit capital of either BC or Canada. I don't know. But I imagine there was like a marketing meeting of the candy people. They were trying to make the fuzzy peach candy. They were trying to make this guy. <laughs> this is what it was. So I, so I brought it all the way here. Okay? So here's my... Here's my seed. Who's supposed to plant this seed? Somebody else? If you were given this seed, who's supposed to plant it? Somebody else or you? Okay, so I'll talk about me so that it's not too gritty. Okay? Somebody else or you? Okay? So then we take this seed. And like, what if I decided to put this seed in my shoe? I don't know if I really want to put it all the way down. Just imagine it's in my shoe, okay? So I got this seed in my shoe. I said, oh, look at, look at my seed. I got a seat in my shoe, walking around, a little bit taller, looks nice, right? Uh, and, you know, I've got my opportunity, I've got my door, I'm walking, walking through. It's not going to take long before that seed starts to irritate you, right? But if you put a seed in the ground over here, and you tend to it, and you water it, I know I'm just talking the basics, but I just, this is what was in my heart this week. So if you tend to, you water it, it's going to grow. 
So maybe you're this prophetic thing. You say, oh, I heard, heard them talk about what God had for our church, for my life. Man, it was good. And I just, that was such a good word. I took that, I took that word and I just, I put it in my shoe. So I could walk around and I could think about it. Well, I went through my week. I thought I was being godly about it. I wanted to remember it. So I just put it here. Well, did you do something about it? No. Did you, <clears throat> did you invest towards it? No. Did you pray into it? No. Did you learn from people already doing that thing? No. Did you start to serve where there was a need, even though it didn't fit the description of your calling or the title you assumed that you would get? Did you water it with the tears of your own intercession? No. But, you know that emoji with the, I think it's called a humph, just the like, how come we're not doing this? How come, how come we're not, do, and you're, 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 you're look, and it just, it's not connected. How come we're not doing this? And you got this seed, it's in the, or maybe it's like, wasn't that an amazing service? Oh, I love that service. That was such a good word. Oh, Shanda, you gave such a good word, that prophetic word. I just loved that word. Oh, I just, I just gonna eat that up. I said, eat that, oh, that word. Did you, Praxis, did you hear that word? Oh, I like that we're chatting about it at lunch. You just, oh, you just eat, you just gobble it up. Beth Moore tells this story. They were doing some missions work in Angola. Um, they were doing a feeding program for the poor. So they want to give them like porridge and something nutritious once a day. And then they're working with a missions organization trying to set up something more sustainable, right? Teach them to farm so that they can, you know, continually have what they need. But they had a problem. The farmers said that the people wanted to eat the seeds, <laughs> So they had like a fleck in their hand and it tasted good in the moment and so they ate it. They put the seed in the wrong place. It could have been a whole corn. It could have been a whole, a whole thing. You weren't supposed to eat it. You were supposed to plant it. You weren't supposed to tuck it in your shoe. You were supposed to plant it. You were supposed to tend to it. You were supposed to nurture it. You were supposed to water it. You were supposed to, I don't know, you know those people play classical music over their plants? I've never tried it, but it sounds pretty biblical. Like you were supposed to do these things you were supposed to plant the word. John 12, 24 says, Verily, verily, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. If it dies, it produces many seeds. There's something that happens in the planting. (laughs) There's just something that happens in the sowing. There's just something that happens in the season of faithfulness that you can't produce any other way. And I wish there was another way, but there isn't. Well, I thought so-and-so was supposed to do this. Pastor, how come we're not doing this? Pastor, I've been carrying this seed in my shoe so long, I've got a limp and I'm pretty upset about it. Trust me, the seed was good, but you just put it in the wrong place. You're a little bent out of shape. Maybe your back is out of alignment. Went to the chiropractor the other day, and uh, the twins were th- with me, and they sat on the floor. Well, the chiropractor helped me, and this big, he cracked my back, and it was just like, <laughs> and they're like, their little eye, this, this would be the emoji of them, like their two eyes, like, what was that? It's just my back, because I was just carrying some, some tension maybe I wasn't meant to be carrying. It's okay. Like, it happens. It happens. Jesus calls us to this. He says, he says, behold, look, 
the door of opportunity. And I felt like God just wants to brush that off of you today. Maybe crack your back a little bit. Maybe you've been holding tension that you didn't realize that you were holding until you got up on the bench in the chiropractor's office. Listen, this last three years, our church has been through all sorts of difficult stuff. Everybody's been through difficult stuff. This is not a rebuke, just a realignment. I think I see the worship team kind of making their way. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So if, you, if you've been frustrated or a little disappointed, God wants to heal that so you can see clearly again. See opportunity instead of disappointment, instead of frustration. He wants to breathe life into dreams that he's given you because he gave it to you. I don't, I don't think he took it away. Still there. But for whatever reason, so to hold that seed of faith and remember what he has called you to do because you've been through it. You've been through the battle. Maybe you're in the middle of a battle and he would say to you today, hold on, hold on. Don't let anybody take your crown, anybody. Even those close to you, don't let anybody take your crown. When God has called you to something, you just, I tell you, you just sometimes have to dig your heels in a little bit. So if, if that's you, I just want to, maybe the worship team, they're going to they're gonna slowly kind of, kind of come in here. I'm just going to ask everybody to stand. What is the door of opportunity? that God has placed before you? Or maybe you related more to the seed analogy. What's the seed of faith that God gave you? Maybe it was a number of years ago. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was 10 years ago. I've been seeing God do some stuff in my life in this last couple months that I've been praying for at least 10 years. Stuff I wanted to give up on. Dig your heels in. Don't let anybody take your crown. So if you would say that you have just some, some frustration, some disappointment, that you want God to brush off of you today and bring some realignment, would you just raise your hands? I just wanna pray for you. Come on. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So Father, right now, I just see you breaking off disappointment and frustration and just bringing a realignment to people's hearts. It's like you're uncovering the seed of faith that's in their heart right now. So God, I pray that you bring to the forefront the things that you've called them to, the life of faith that you've called them to. And God, the things that get in the way, self-preservation or even finances or things that can just distract us from what you've got right now in the name of Jesus. You just, we just call everything back into alignment with the will of God for their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want the worship team to, to, you can go into that song and just sing out of your own mouth. 
Like sing your own worship song to the Lord. Begin to thank him for the thing that he placed inside of you. Begin to thank him for the door of opportunity. Tell, ask him to give you eyes of faith to see again where may, maybe you've been dimmed in your eyes. He's gonna cause you to see clearly again. we thank you that right now you're reactivating dreams in people's hearts. God, we thank you right now that you are reactivating faith to step into the things that you have for people. And I, I wanted to remind our house about something before we, before we wrap up. We can kind of launch into that song to, to close in a minute. But friends, there's, there is a call of God on our house to plant churches. There is a call of God on our house to expand and to multiply and to transform cities. I 110% believe that. It's a door that's been opened to our church. There's a door of opportunity God's placed in front of you. I believe there's also a door of opportunity that God has placed in front of our church. And I think I can say this with like a little bit of authority. I've got some skin in the game because four years ago this month, Pastor Craig and Shanda pulled over my family in the, in the foyer over there. And in a five minute conversation, changed the entire trajectory of our lives. There's a door set before us. It's not a door that we would have chosen. I wasn't even sure exactly where Princeton was when we headed out there. It's not been a door that's been wide with no obstacles. It's led to a lot of moments where I felt like the church in Philadelphia, you have little power. This is a door that Jesus has for our church. And our family going to Princeton was an act of obedience to Jesus' call of God on the house, because our house is called to do that. That's what it was. I didn't even know where Princeton was. 
He opens doors that no one else can open and he closes doors that no one can close. And I felt today that there are others who are called to be church planters. There are others in the house that God is stirring that inside of your heart to help to plant churches. And maybe it means a season where you come and hang out in Princeton and just let your heart get stirred for it a little bit. Get your feet on the ground, get your feet wet a little bit. The Lord said, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. It's his harvest. So I am asking the Lord to send workers to his harvest. There's doors that he's open for you and there's doors that he's open for us. And for some of you, those two things actually line up. It's an invitation to a life of faith. That's what he's called us to. That's what he's called us to. So what I want us to do is as the band closes us out in prayer, yeah, as the band closes us out, just pray, God, give us a heart for multiplication. It's a call on this house. Okay, so God, we thank you, Father, that you've called this house to be a house of multiplication. This is, all right, here we go. I'm holding a lowly seed. <laughs> I brought it from home. I'm gonna bring it back there. But we're, yeah, we're breaking the seed. One seed becomes many. So God, right now, we thank you that you have called our house to multiply. You have called us to be an apostolic house that has an, a national and an international impact. God, you've called us to be ones who bring not just one or two, hundreds and thousands to salvation, that they would know you, that they would know the plan and the purpose of God on their life. So right now we are asking that you would multiply this seed of faith, that we will be a house that sends out more houses, that sends out more houses, that sends out more houses, because it's not about us. It is about expanding the kingdom of God on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Open doors that no one can open and close doors that no one can close. We say yes and amen. Yes and amen. Say it with me, church. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.